Welcome, and how do? Now you've entered the candy store. Bye. A different entrance this week. So you may hear some different stories. You're in the basement storeroom. My name is Mertrin, and and I am an ant. Have you ever been underestimated? It doesn't feel good, does it? Now enjoy being underestimated by some. That feeling I get when they realize their biggest threat is in front of them. So here's some stories to enjoy while it's all falling down. oversized mandibles and slavering jaws of the warrior, not for me the quivering egg sacs of the queen or the pulsing member of the drone. No, my roughened antennae and lowered head mark me as just another worker, no one special, just another thorax in the crowd. That's my secret. I'm just like anyone else. That's why you don't see me. You don't see me, but I see you. A worker out late, hurrying home without a care in the world. You don't see me until it's too late. And then I strike. You don't feel a thing. You'll never feel another thing. In the morning, the other workers will find you. They'll haul you off to the garbage heap with the rest of the trash. And no one will think that it was me, little, boring, unimpressive me who did it. But I'll know, and I'll remember. And tomorrow, I'll do it again. surprise. I enjoy being underestimated by those who oppose me, and I oppose almost everybody, especially you. 
After all, it didn't occur to you that here I am in the storeroom of the beloved candy store, the middle-aged candy store, just sitting here, and I'm an ant. You didn't think about how brilliant that was, did you? Was as dark as a dung beetle's belly. Out of the shadowy night, a clicking mandible sent out a love call. Hello, girls. Fancy a bit of fun? Jack, who had been taking a leisurely stroll through his beloved city, felt his legs twitch. No matter how hard he searched for solitude, he always found himself surrounded, always crowded, always marching in a line, always carrying something ridiculously large on his slender back. He clenched his eyes, but the voice cut through him like the sting of a wasp. Say, sweet, you look a little pinky. Come over here, we'll have a little cuddle. Fortunately, and we're everywhere. We're underneath all your institutions, your churches, your government buildings. And before your clever mind starts racing again and thinking that I'm some kind of metaphor, let me tell you, have you ever been threatened by a metaphor? No, you have not. As the candle burned and crackled, spots of ink on paper dappled, letters best not sent at all. Late the night, my pen still scratching, falling thoughts the scribbles catching, maddened by their very fall, the impact of them as I scrawl, soft yet best not writ at all. Nights creep stealthily, quickly past, leaves not behind but melted wax, and stacks of missives growing tall, and no way to drag these bones, for I am trapped within this home, nails and boards upon the wall, away from all the beasts who crawl, the hundred million very small. 
thoughts to paper keep dispatching. Echoes haunt my pen still scratching, scratching noises in the wall, halting when they sense my pause, the steely clack of acid jaws, waiting for my guard to fall, target of their dark cabal. These words are best not writ at all. The madness broke, a tidal wave summoned me toward my grave, the death behind the boarded wall. From the wall I ripped the boards, smashed a hole to meet the hordes, but nobody was there at all. No acid frothing beasts who crawl, no hundred million, very small. A maddened laugh ripped from my throat, the dimness swallowing the note. My fears had come to naught at all. Suddenly, a leg appeared, gargantuan to feed my fear, reaching for me from the wall. I tripped, fell back into a sprawl, tipped my paper stack so tall. Leaflets set around my form, fallen back against the floor. The ant sprayed acid from the wall as my flesh now burned and crackled echoes of my melting candle. Waxy drops distend and fall. The scratching of my maddened call, soft but best not heard at all. And when they find my hollow bones, they'll know my pain amidst my notes, letters best not sent at all. They'll know the darkness I've released. They'll see my flesh has fed the beast. A hundred million, but not small. The ants have grown behind the wall, acid frothing beasts who crawl. Well, please, please, please keep doing it. Underestimating, neglecting, dismissing, organizationalizing, making it all into a funny mental game while we're there, quietly eating, eating, eating the candy. And when there's no more candy, we're going to eat the wood. We're going to eat the whole damn candy store. Captain Ferg was awoken suddenly from a well-deserved nap by a ruckus. His past 48 hours had been spent breaking down and carrying corn kernels back to his colony. Corn stalks had been grown by a child of the humans who ruled the land which the ant colony lives under. The humans were away for an extended period this August and the corn had matured nicely. Captain Ferg's mother, Major Bodge, had been the accredited finder of the corn and had been rightly decorated with the sucrose sticky cross, the highest honor one can receive. She was celebrated colony-wide for her vital contribution. Upon awakening, Captain Ferg's instinct kicked in immediately. He was fueled by adrenaline and a built-in desire to contribute his all to the collective. 
his people, his tribe. The ants' information network is basically intricate vibrations they can make and feel that they pass along very quickly and appropriately to each other. The network informed everyone that the ruckus had been caused by another reportedly huge food find. Apparently, multiple overly ripe mangoes had been found inside the human's home. The discovery had been made by Lieutenant Groom. Captain Ferg had a terrible relationship with Lieutenant Groom. They had shared a room during college and had quickly developed a close friendship. Also in their class was Cadet Stock. Back then, as a cadet, Lieutenant Groom was obsessed with Cadet Stog due to her immensely capable worker ability. Cadet Stog was the very best in their class and everyone could see her potential to become the next supreme leader. Back then, as a cadet, Ferg had been teamed up with Cadet Stog for a live reconnaissance exercise into the waste container left at the edge of the grass twice a week. They called the container their Lost Mountain. Mid-morning, a human would whisk their Lost Mountain up to the sky, only to return it empty a few seconds later. During the live reconnaissance, cadets, Stog, and Ferg were both inside their Lost Mountain when it was unexpectedly snatched up by a human. By chance, Ferg had tumbled out to safety, but Cadet Stog was never seen again. Her cries could be heard until the mechanical crushing sounds eclipsed them. Groom blamed Fair for Cadet Stog's demise, and from that point on, hated Fair. Ridiculous fights between them ensued. They had to be separated and finished college in separate rooms. Despite this bitter history, deep down Captain Ferg was happy for Lieutenant Groom's finding of the mangoes. Captain Ferg hoped this would shake Lieutenant Groom out of his obsession and grief while possibly even lessening his pain. Captain Ferg was now fully alert and ready to play his part in the colony's exploitation of the mango find. The Screaming Sweets received an order to march, which had been passed through the network. The Screaming Sweets were elite first-on-scene harvesters. Being first-on-scene was the most dangerous of roles, as often little is known about new harvest sites. Any number of things can result in injury and death, and especially from poisons and predators. Both Captain Ferg and Lieutenant Groom were members of the Screaming Swedes, and Captain Ferg's mother, Major Botch, was their leader. Captain Ferg and Lieutenant Groom locked eyes for a moment at the rally point, but then both snapped into action mode. Off they marched out of the main entrance. They marched along a stone walkway, then took a hard right turn. They marched under some rose bushes until they reached the wall of the human's home. They continued through a crack in the wall and zigzagged their way up through the various lairs until they popped out onto a countertop in a huge room, the human's kitchen. That's when everyone could really smell the prize, the intoxicatingly sweet mangoes. The mangoes were over on a table across the room from the counter. Major Botch immediately ordered a quick recon to discover the best route to and from the mangoes. Upon everyone's return, Major Botch decided Groom had found the most favorable route. 
It would include an almost direct walk across the floor to the table and back. It was out in the open, but the humans had not been spotted returning home as yet. The harvesters were always driven to act fast, so the quick decision was appreciated by all, despite their impending vulnerability. Major Botch led the way on point with seven specially trained spotters surrounding her, all in constant communication with each other. Down the counter and between cupboards they marched proudly down to the floor. They were almost two-thirds of the way across the floor to the table when the network sent the signal to freeze in place. Was this caution, or was there a threat? The network then sent word that a large mammal had been spotted sleeping in a basket in the next room near an archway off the kitchen. A moment later, ice-cold terror transmitted through the network when the mammal was identified as Fast Whiskers, the ginger cat seen occasionally in the front yard. This confirmed the rumors that Fast Whiskers lived among the humans. Unfortunately, Fast Whiskers liked to eat ants, often brutally playing with them before lapping them up with her massive lightning-fast tongue. She would partially chew them into pieces before swallowing her carnage. This was not good. After weighing the situation, Major Botch ordered a retreat. Everyone back the way they came and quietly. Captain Farrick was halfway back up the counter by now, as he had started near the back of the line. That's when he heard a loud metallic sound crash and echo throughout the room. A spoon had fallen from the counter and bounced loudly on the floor before coming to a rest. In an instant, everything changed. Fast Whiskers was not only awake, but staring intensely at the spoon. Her wide, cold eyes then panned down and saw the ant line. A wiggle of her haunches, and then she pounced. The lead party never stood a chance. Captain Fared watched frozen in horror as his mother and the spotters were the first to die. Only about half of the Screaming Sweets made it back up onto the counter. The rest were methodically eaten alive. It was the largest loss of life he had witnessed since the Pylon Celebration incident on the driveway of the human's home. Guests of the humans parked their unexpected vehicle on top of the pile. The remaining Screaming Sweets gathered on the countertop under the microwave oven in a circle. All were deeply shaken by the experience, but as elite harvesters, they remained focused. Captain Ferg found himself to be the ranking officer, as his mother and the other senior leaders were all dead. Those who had remained on the countertop as lookouts had nothing unusual to report. The spoon seemed to have fallen on its own. Captain Fair noticed that Lieutenant Groom was among the survivors. The two locked eyes again. A few seconds passed, at which point Lieutenant Groom smiled. The network alerted everyone about the smile, and they all turned to look at Lieutenant Groom. There was a chilling collective realization that Lieutenant Groom had pushed the spoon off the counter that Lieutenant Groom had earlier pushed the spoon across the counter in preparation of their arrival. Lieutenant Groom was the finder of the mangoes. Lieutenant Groom had noticed Fast Whiskers earlier 
and devised this whole plan to enable this ant slaughter to happen. This was all for revenge against Captain Fair. Lieutenant Groom did not care that other ants would die, so long as Captain Ferg suffered. Lieutenant Groom knew that Captain Ferg's mother, Major Botch, would be among the first to die, as she would be in her customary lead position. Lieutenant Groom wanted Captain Ferg to see that, to watch someone close to him die, as he had watched Cadet Stog die, to hear her die. Still smiling, Lieutenant Groom stared into Captain Ferg's eyes. He could feel the network transmit the order from Captain Ferg to kill him. Lieutenant Groom relaxed his posture as he felt an enormous weight lifted. His long suffering was finally ending. Captain Ferg and Lieutenant Groom still had their eyes locked on each other as the remaining screaming sweets began to efficiently tear Lieutenant Groom into pieces. The Screaming Sweets did not hesitate to act because Lieutenant Groom had become a threat to the tribe. After Lieutenant Groom was no longer a threat, they all turned their attention back to those intoxicatingly sweet mangoes. Captain Ferg would need to choose another route. It is death that consoles the last trusses to live with a goal in this life. It's the last pledge it gives, which as with an elixir, invigorates, shows us strength to march on to the day's final throes. Driving through all the storms, through the snow and the frost, it is a clear beacon calling us on towards the lost. It's the last destination, last stop on our tour, where we rest and we eat before sleeping secure. It's an angel that holds in their fingers of light, luscious slumber with dreams, so euphoric and right. With those fierce hands they make up the beds of poor. It's the beds of the poor. It's the beds of the poor, and their ancestral base. It's the flame of the gods, the mysterious place. It's a door to the limitless silence of space. It's a door to the limitless silence of space. Intros and Interstitials, written, performed, and produced by Donnie Febbleston. Silence of the Ants, written and produced by Kristen Mueller-Heaslip. Read by Michael Giel. Ant the Ripper, written and read by Karen Loomer, and produced by Tony Culverwell. The Hundred Million Very Small, written by Rachel Perry, read by Karen Loomer, and produced by Donnie Febbleston. Ants in the Kitchen, written, read, and produced by Tony Culverwell. Amour des Pauvres, originally by Baudelaire, translated by Donnie Febbleston. 
Cover art by Karen Loomer and Rachel Perry. Poster by Amanda Madalanis. Come in for a spell.